0: hi hi sarah <laughs> april showers bring may flowers april showers bring may flowers yes sure do you hear the dogs in the back i, I was like or barking Thank dogs <laughs> dogs, these dogs none of these dogs for the record are my dog that's a lot then it's just a lot of dogs and then on our gro our block our block Google group, some one of the, like, elderly neighbors (laughs) got on the block Google group the other day and was like, what's happening with all these barking dogs? I hope everything is okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I use that tone because I know this person, and for sure that was the tone she was using, and she felt like she had to say, I hope everything is okay. (laughs) What she really meant is, can't you make everything okay? shut your dogs up, everyone. My dog is, for the record, very quiet, so... I mean, there is the one that is the one good thing about having this particular dog. (laughs) I support you. I support all of the people with dogs. Well, I mean, mistakes were made. (laughs) He is very sweet, though. He does. He's warm and fuzzy. See, that's nice. I mean, that's it's nice to pet a dog. Um, You were just saying that you went to Target. Tell everybody about Target. What's that like? It's so weird. So everybody, Little Romance had volleyball, but it was like 90 minutes. So it's too long to go home and come back. So I was like, well, I'm going to go to Target because I am vaccinated and have, I mean, I've sort of run into Target and run out, but I have, yesterday I did the thing at Target where you You just- You lingered? I looked at the books. I took a picture of Kate's book and sent it to her. I bought sports bras. (laughs) Perfect. And then I bought new sheets and a new quilt for for the bed. It's such a treat. It was. And I just was like, this is nice. This is nice. Shopping. I know. What a wild thing to do. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I've done none of those things, but I get the jab tomorrow. (gasps) Yay. I get the jab tomorrow. Yay. Yeah. Talk to me at 5 p.m. It'll be over, and I will want to take a nap, I think, probably. I, I think that is correct. Well, there is this. This will be the final test of whether or not I actually did, in fact, have COVID all those months ago when Kate Claiborne filled in for me and you Was, guys did yes, six bed, bed, bed. Ironically, no. Because are you getting the we'll no one shot or are you going to get? no tests. I don't actually know. I'm okay. going to, like, one of the big New York Super like, National Guard sites. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm going to go in. Some guy in a uniform is going to go, go stand over there. And they're going to put a needle in my arm. And you're, yes. And then I'll have immunity. It is a great feeling. <laughs> it is. I haven't really changed. I will say I haven't changed my like life all that much. But no. I find that when I am places that before would have made me feel nervous instead, I was like, you know what? It's okay. I am I have my mask on and I'm in Target and I'm immunized. Let me look at these sports bras. You had the Fauci ouchie. <laughs> I do hate that phrase, but it's terrible. You know, but <laughs> it really is. I it's terrible, but it is a little catchy. Catch. And so periodically I find myself thinking just like randomly, like hmm, Fauci ouchy. <laughs> That's funny. Somebody's <laughs> gonna make a jingle out of it. A-O-C L-I-T-R-B-G-R-I-P-C-B-D-Z-Z-Z-C-O-V I D Ouchy ouchy. Ouchie ouchie. Listen to Fauci. Can I tell you what's adorable? My daughter, um, in school, I don't know, like some school, obviously, like in school, they've talked about the coronavirus, and they have talked about Dr. Fauci. So she is, she knows who he is. Like he's done a couple of, like he did a Sesame Street thing, and he's done like some videos for schools like to talk to kids about like he basically is the guy like the CDC is like we don't have anybody else we have this guy with this 80 year old man (laughs) he's our guy we'll talk he'll talk to everyone no matter how old you are he knows what to say to you so we were she was reading something she brought home something from school and she's in second grade so she's like a pr- she's an okay she's a for second grade she's a great reader but she still you know reads at a second grade level so like she's looking at this piece of paper and she goes and then der fauci oh you know sure. said blah 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 because it's dr R- of course so she's like der fauci sure and now i just can't Anytime, that makes him I- sound like a german opera star <laughs> <laughs> der fauci <laughs> So now anytime I see any of our friends who are doctors, I just can't. Like, I, I have this, like, sure. You're like moment Dur. of, like, I want to just call you, like, Dermadel. <laughs> Derjen. D- D- sure. So anyway, welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels. I turned in my book last week. I did. So... The revision is done. The copy edits are done. Bombshell is coming. Yay. Wait, can I say this? I know. Yes, keep going. I hate hate saying this. You know I hate saying this. Three years in, I hate saying it. But Eric was like, you got to say it at the beginning sometimes. You guys, I write romance novels. I have a book coming out August 27th. (laughs) Maybe you should check Sarah. Either the 24th or the 27th. Hang on. You're like, look, getting it done is the first step. August, whatever. That, now somebody else is involved getting it on shelves. Um, It's coming out August 24th. It's called Bombshell. It's the first in a new series called Hell's Bells. Um, For those of you who don't know, I write historical romance. um, And if you have ever been listening to this podcast and thought, gosh, that sounds like a nice lady. I wonder how her books read. They're terrific. (laughs) You You should pre-order Bombshell at a bookstore near you. And thank you very much for your patronage. I am very, I'm Jennifer Prokop. I am a romance reader and critic. And you know what I'm hoping? I'm hoping by the time August rolls around, you will be able to do some in-person events for Bombshell. Maybe. At, like, bookstores. That would be amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing? Gosh, remember bookstores? I have got to tell you already, a little romance is going to go to college somewhere and I am already going to be like reaching out to the independent bookstores nearby and being like, "Hi." Hi. Sarah and I are going to come talk about romance. Wait, are we sharing where Little Romance is going to college yet? He, okay, we will as soon as it's like final, final. As soon as Little Romance decides. Yes. But if it's where I think it is, like, I'm excited because there's an indie there that's great. Yeah. And it's very close to Very romance friendly. So I'm excited about it too. close to New York. Yeah. Which is my, the best thing for me. Uh, me too. I mean, I hate Who to Who cares that way, about but... this kid? He'll I be was fine. like, <laughs> look, can you go somewhere where I have a lot of friends? That would be <laughs> what's best for me right now. So, yeah, as soon as it's for sure, he is he's still he's taking his time and weighing his options. Fine. Nice. It's it is nice. Um and when we, so this is faded mates and we've talked about this a couple times over the last few uh weeks, but for those of you who are new, and there are many thousands of you who were not with us our first season, thank you for joining us. And thanks especially to our first season people who have been here the whole for the long haul. Um, long-fated matesers. Uh, we started our first season... Intending only for 18 episodes that we're going to be a deep dive of Cressley Cole's Immortals After Dark series, which we did. You can go back to the beginning and read Immortals After Dark along with us, and we think it was pretty fun. There is a lost limb count in the show notes. We get very excited about vampires and how they drink their blood. It's very exciting. It's an exciting ride. It is, and it's funny because, like, the lost limb count, we didn't start right away, and now I'm like, you know what? As a summer project, I'm gonna go back and reread the ones without a lost limb count and keep it, make sure it's updated, make sure it's correct. Sometimes people, sometimes people send us corrections. When I know, go, and we do go back and enter them. And they're right, by the way. <laughs> I was like, oh <laughs> yes, yeah, they are. I did are. miss that person chopping off their arm. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Actually, the truth is, you guys, when you send us tweets or DMs or Instagram messages where you tell us. Uh, 1,000% like how we misread a scene in one of the Mortals After Dark books. Jen and I love it. It just gives us an an excuse to go back and read again. Absolutely. Uh, Anyway, so, but we, Jen and I, had never read... That's right. ...this particular series by Cressley, which is her debut series. Uh, Her first book ever, The Captain of All Pleasures, published July... 2003, which is a long-ass time ago in romance. That would be right after I gave birth to Little Romance. Those were some dark years pop culture-wise, so I wasn't doing anything. I was young and not very smart, making bad choices. Here's the other thing. I'm going to say, I think this is the first time in three however many years of this ep- uh, podcast that we neither of us had read the book we decided on. No. And we decided because I was finishing up copy edits on Mm -hmm. the book and I was like, I can't, it can't be anything that like, I really have to think too hard about, you know, it has to be something that like, we know I'll, I'll feel, I'll just be able to cruise right through it. Right. So we decided on Captain of all pleasures because Cressley's debut and I'm sort of surprised we didn't do this right back in the day. I think it's um, also going to be a way we're going to make a lot of connections to things. in. So when you go back to the debut of a beloved author, often it's a really interesting experience in, like, seeing the seeds, this author's core story we're going to mm-hmm. talk about, and seeing the seeds that sort of get, like, tweaked, modified. Perfected yes. Yes. in later books. And I think both of us really read this book kind of like I that's how I read it. It was like, you know, yeah. things I were high things I highlighted where I was like, oh, this is like, right? So it's it is really interesting because as you're saying that, I'm thinking about like big like big authors and you know, the, the most popular authors in the genre. And the fact that their earliest books are most often, not the books that people talk about, right? Right. I think about um, Lisa Kleypas. Her first two books, possibly three, are out of print, and you have to literally buy them on eBay. And they're, they're not expensive. even in an e. Any? Fascinating. And and um, so you have to buy them on eBay. I have them. I bought them on eBay for a ridiculous amount of money. I would say, sure. but only because like. Sure. I think she's fabulous, and so I wanted to have them. I haven't read those either. I just have them. They're a breaking case of emergency books. But I think it's telling that they're not an E. Right. Like, I think that probably speaks to an author who doesn't necessarily want those to be the, the Real books easy. that are out. Right. right. Um, I think about J.R. Ward and the fact that, like, she had a full career as mm-hmm. Jessica Bird writing Harlequins. Yep. Before she became J.R. Ward and started writing the series that she, that we all know her for. Julia Quinn wrote a trilogy or possibly more before she started writing Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that for, I think... In 2021, we have come—we are conditioned to believe that if a debut author doesn't—if an author doesn't, like, go stratospheric with their debut, then they can't, you know, succeed. And it's really unfair. Yeah. Because— So much pressure. Nobody's debut is perfect. You know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes somebody comes out of the gate with a, like just stunning debut, like Helen Huang. I mean, come on, the kiss, I mean, the kiss is question. a good example, come on, right? Come on, <laughs> like but almost, for the most part, yeah. for the most part, we like kind of lurch our way through a debut because we can't. There are lots of reasons, right? Sure. Like, there's a part of it is that is sometimes that you've been working on it for so long that like it's just either flabby or none of this is speaking to Cressley's book but the point in is general that, like, right now right I want to talk about debuts in general because yeah. I think like I think readers what's interesting is when I had my debut out I think readers were a little more um tolerant of mm-hmm. Flaws in a debut. They kind of understood, like, well, this is a new author. So like it might not be perfect, but like there might be a seed of something that we love in this. Um, I think now readers, like I said, expect for the first book out of the gate to be just like a juggernaut. And that is a very hard thing to do. So, like, sometimes, so there, I think there are a few different ways that debuts can kind of go sideways. The first is, um, like I said, the author has been working on it for 10 years well and i think it's worth saying on the okay if if we're talking about debuts through like a publishing house oh yes right that book is largely written and sold without i mean you're not really selling on I'm, spec the same yeah, way right can you that's talk good about point. that i can explain yeah debuts are typically typically not always but often sold i mean like the majority of the time they are sold complete. Right. So I sit at home in my off in my you know kitchen and I write a 400 page novel and then I send it off to agents and editors and they read the complete novel mm-hmm. and then decide if they want to publish it. So like the writing work is mine. Almost right. it's exclusively mine. Like the pacing is mine. I decide when I work. I decide when it's ready to go to be to publishing houses to be looked at. Again, this is traditional publishing. I mean, obviously, in independent publishing, you have to finish the book, too. But, like, right. it's a different kind of thing. There's so less gatekeeping to also, getting it in people's hands. particular book exists. Like, there was no independent publishing before this, like, right. Right in 2003. So this is how it would have been for Gracely. Right. She would have finished this book probably, though, you know, maybe she was one of the tiny percentage who didn't have to. But I assume she finished the book. And then she would have sent it to an agent who sent it to pocket books at the time to you know her editor there and so Cressley Cole is born but often because of that process because you can kind of sit on it and noodle it and send it to a friend and the friend gives you feedback and your sister gives you feedback and your mom gives you feedback <laughs> and like everybody gets to read it everybody gets it's it ends up being like a lot of cooks in this kitchen and so sometimes like the book can be kind of all over the place or the book can be a little flappy or the book can be like the paste weird because it's just taking you so long, like there's no there's no urgency to the writing, and therefore mm-hmm. like you know right. it just it it reads it reads long sometimes debuts can just be can be a little bit tweaky because, um the writers literally don't know the rules, right they haven't right. learned, and I think I've talked about this before, but those early books. They're almost easier to write, I think, in my opinion. I think earlier books are easier to write. Certainly for me, they were, because I couldn't see the pitfalls coming. Right, right? Right. So you're writing, you know, when you're writing like, I don't know, whatever book, Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake, which is my first romance, like you're sort of writing along and you don't know that if you make a decision in chapter seven, in chapter 22, you're going to have to reckon with it. Right. right. So you just write like a free bird until (laughs) you get to 22 and then you're like, oh no. And then, but what's cool about that is in the moment when you're like, oh no, you're also like, I'm not going back. Right. Right? So I have to figure out how to make it work in chapter 22. So often, debuts become really interesting and, like, sure. have really creative thinking behind them and, like, problem solving. And that's why often when we see a debut that we think is really fabulous, often it's because we've never seen an author tackle that particular problem or that particular st- speed bump in that particular way. And it's because they didn't know it was coming. Right. 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 By book 14, you see it coming. Right. So in then, chapter 7, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> right. Well, and I would say as a re- from the reader-critic perspective, it often – I feel like when I am reading a debut now, I – I try to be as, like, generous and open-hearted as I can because debut authors are rookies. And rookies make rookie mistakes, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. As you said, it could be really interesting. But I also... There's a part of me that assumes, also, that most debut novels are, um, like, a real labor of love at some level. It's the book of your heart. Yes. Exactly. This is the book that you, I mean, that you wanted to write so bad you couldn't hold it in anymore. It, yeah. it had to be written. It had to come out. And so I, I mean, think- to give you a sense of that, like, I wrote, so my first romance, Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a rake. I wrote a different, I wrote a YA romance before that, but I don't think of that YA romance as the book of my heart. That's, like, a different kind of thing, and, mm-hmm. and I came to it in a different way. Um, but Nine Rules was, like, that book for me. And the list that Callie, Callie, so the premise of Rule* is the heroine, it's true regency, like a real ballroom regency. Yes. And um, the heroine is like, uh, she's, you know, on the shelf, she's overweight, she's plain looking, people don't, you know, she's, she just is disappeared into society. And she decides like, I'm going to live my, I'm going to like live this life that I have always dreamed of living. I'm going to make a list of the nine things I'm going to do to like really live, live, capital L. <laughs> and she, and they're like, ride a stride, attend a duel, kiss a man, like whatever the things were. And that list is purely like Sarah, reader Sarah's id. Right. right, like, right. just on a, I'm going to write a book, it's going to have, it's going to tick every box I have. It's going to scratch every itch I have. The hero is a twin. Like, <laughs> you know, everything about that book, from, s- like, soup to nuts, right? There's yeah. a labyrinth. There's a, you what? know, there's lots of, like, heroin dressed in pants. There's, I mean, all the it's things just, you love, right? It's all things that now, 14 years later are like, oh, of course there's a labyrinth. Right. (laughs) There's a labyrinth in in Bombshell 2, everyone. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Perfect. Okay, we haven't talked about Cressley's book yet at all. I don't care. Wait, wait, wait. But I want to say something else about debuts, and I want to underscore it, which is the reason why debuts work, right? Like, why? Because all of the things that we've said are true, right? Mm -hmm. And... I mean, I actually think that the this, the thing that I said about, like, not knowing where the pitfalls are is actually really a benefit to young, to sure. new authors, young and new authors. Um, but I think what's really interesting about the debut and how a debut author can really take hold of the world in some way is all voice. Yes. Right? It's... It's almost as though when a reader picks up a book by a debut author and they've—the slate is completely clean, Mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't really matter if the book is flawed or, like, has issues or is paced weird if the voice— the author voice is strong and great. Right? Like, is the author really funny? Is the yes. author really smart? It does. Do I feel like the whole the whole concept behind the book is clever and interesting? Like, right. Is the chemistry really spark, right. right? All that stuff, really? Like I think readers are instantly drawn to the idea of reading a book by a new author who is going to make them experience reading in a new way. Mm-hmm. And that is 100% authorial voice. And so that's why debuts are often so, one, they... they um, Why they sometimes capture us in such a powerful way, but also why um, we're so willing to kind of forgive them. Sure. Because Because. it's giving us something else. And we see this in romance because I think in romance there are two kinds of debut, and maybe this is true of other genres too, probably is. There's the official debut, the like, this is the first book this author ever wrote. Mm -hmm. But then there's the first book by this author you ever read. Yeah. And that... Is your like reader debut? It's like mm-hmm. the debut of your heart. Yes, so exactly. Speak. Right, exactly. And that is why what's fascinating to me as a writer is how how often I would say seventy five percent of the time when a reader comes up to me at a conference or at an event or like sends me an email, the book that cha- that made them love me. Is often the first book. Their favorite right. of my books is, is often the first the one, one they read. The one they read first, right? And I can often tell if like a reader has been with me for eleven years or for a since year brazen or whatever, right? By virtue of which book they love the most. That's interesting. That makes sense to me. But yeah. I was thinking about that a lot with this book because, right? My like the Cressley book that I love the most. Is not Captain of All Pleasures. No, because we just read it. Yeah. Before we move on to Cressley, I want to talk about a couple other things about debuts. As a reader, I really feel for a lot of authors right now who are debuting in trade paperback because they're expensive. And I do think that author—like, the whole sort of, like, you know, we're looking for an amazing voice and we're willing to follow that voice— I think I used to be a lot more forgiving of debuts when they didn't cost as much. I think, I think this is really tricky. Yeah. Partially, I see where, I see where you're coming from with cost being the issue. I actually, I mean, I don't know because I, I'm not privy to everybody's sales numbers all the time, although I wish I was. (laughs) Um, It feels to me like debut romance in general that first book comes out, and people buy it. Yeah, we want to give it a chance. We're hungry for new authors, right? I think that you're—I I see what you're saying, though, because I feel like in mass market, right, if you're paying $6 for a book— Sure. —and you buy it, and you love the voice, but, like, you feel like the story is kind of eh, right. you'll pay $6 for the next one to right. see, right? But if you pay $14.99, Will you might you pay, not pay right. $14.99 for the next one. Right. And I— I see, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's of course a worry, right? Right. Now, again, I'm just like one reader, but I do think, I do think the way, and I think Kindle has changed it too, right? Because let's say this League's you know, look, so we're going to talk about League for a minute here. Captain of All Pleasures comes out in 2003. It's going to be another year before I see another book by her on the shelves at Borders. And I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I like that book. And I also think the pacing where like authors are, you know, a lot of authors feel they have to write so much faster now. I also feel like, you know, they're doing it because this is what fans want. I mean, the whole way the market of publication has changed. I, I don't have a, maybe I have a question. It's not a statement. I wonder how the pace at which books are released has changed the way we feel about debut authors and then their follow-up book Does that make sense and i don't have an answer you mean you wonder if the fact that authors are writing more quickly well some are less. and some aren't some are writing slower but they're more expensive some are writing yeah. faster but it's cheaper it's like i also think things like i mean i think you know. can't discount things like goodreads right like Absolute, or like or the fact because here's a here's the truth like If you really, let's say you pick up a book in 2001, let's say you picked up a book by random author, you read it and you were like, this is fine. This is a six out of 10. Sure. Right. Which for a romance reader is like, I would, I would totally read another book by this person if it came across my desk. Great. So six out of 10. The next year, when you see that name on the shelf, you don't have Goodreads to check, right? right? Like, you maybe are keeping a reading journal, but are you really? It's not with you in the store, right? I mean, you'd be surprised. Some of those ladies really sure, were on true. point. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, but you couldn't check and you'd see it and you'd be like, oh, I think I read, yeah, yeah I read that. I like before. that. I'm going to buy right. it, right? right? Like, whereas you might have said, I mean you might have said, Oh I'll wait, like I'm not gonna get it this week. I just feel like there's that's you know, what the I'm world yes. is very different now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm saying is maybe we don't know and it's different for different people. Yeah. But I feel like my it's it is it's just different, right? My ability to check in with other readers or um, to you know, to kind of be for like readers to report in. Yeah. Right, you weren't really able to do that No, No. No. You only had that if you were lucky enough to have friends who also read Barometer. And there was Amazon, right? So, like, you could check your Amazon reviews, which at that point were better Barometers. Maybe. I don't even really remember relying on that. If you were buying from Amazon, because you could also go to the bookstore, which is what, like, book readers, like, people who were reading 10, 12 books a month were still going to books, bookstores. Absolutely. Anyway— I don't know how interesting all of this. We're sort of, like, down a rabbit hole on all of this. But I think that I just want to say, like, debuts are so important, and it's so important to support debut authors. Yes. Um, Which I think you and I really do try to do on the podcast and yeah, IRL. <laughs> um, But I, I just feel like, so that you all know, like, support your debuts, but also, like, when... When other authors, like, who've been around a long time try new things or start a new or, like, try yes, a new genre, right. you know, support them, too. Because it feels like there's always—you never know when somebody's going to really hit it for you. Right. Right. Um, and I think this is why—this this is such an interesting ex- experiment for me because— um, I really love the McCarrick Brothers series. I really love the um, Game Maker series. And we all know where I stand on IAD. Right. Um, as far as Cressley goes. And this was really fascinating. Yes. To read just like something completely different that was, it's so obviously a first book. And oh, there's yeah. so much in here that is so Cressley. Absolutely. But also you do feel like you're watching her like learn to drive a car. Right. And that's, that's what I would say— with a debut is you're like, okay, this person's learning to drive the car. Am I interested in seeing them drive the next car? Yep. And I think I the one thing I want to talk about then is, again, this is if you are following kind of mainstream publishing track, like that day, that second book then, I would expect to see a lot of growth because the second book is not written in a vacuum, right? The second book it's then is written with an editor, and so I would say... I mean, your first book will get edited. That's not... But it's different. But it's a different experience. Once you've had an editorial experience, the hope is that experience will inform the writing on the next round. Right. Also, I'm sorry, but there is something to be said for, like, the Malcolm Gladwell theory of, like, you have to write a million words... Sure. ...before you know what you're doing. Sure. Of course. Um, Which is from that book that he... Everybody... I mean, I don't know. We'll put it in show notes. Sure, There's sure. a famous book with an essay about how writers have to write a million words before they're actually, like able to, like, compete. (laughs) Right, right. Whatever that means. But the point is, and I don't know if it's a million words or not, but whatever it is, is 14 books in, I think, like, I can do the job better. Yeah. Well, and And that's what, as readers, I want to see growth, right? As a reader, I want to see growth. And sometimes that growth goes in a way that I'm like, okay, but not like that, because (laughs) they've you know heat level or whatever sure, but that's on sure. them and of course they get to do what they but want that's but that's not what i mean by but doing that's a job. not what i mean either right i mean like their characterization work their plotting yeah. their pacing you Just know they're fundamentally you're better yes. at the writing of it right absolutely and yeah. that is a joy to see and it's that's why i think so much, so many of us back to that you read that first book and then there is nothing better than discovering they have a huge backlist. Yeah. It is like the it's like the romance but this readers is a romance thing. Oh right? god I yes. And thrillers, I guess thrillers too, but no. Yeah, it's... this feels really special to romance this piece of it. Yes. And it's because we're the most voracious of readers. Right. Although I think kids watching an 8-year-old like who they... loves to read. Yes. Like back you know my daughter's eyes go wide when she realizes like yes. she read super fudge with eric <laughs> yes. and then we were like you know judy, judy bloom, bloom is, hello and she was like what <laughs> it's the best feeling and so i think that that's the other reason why we're constantly you know i i think i do think romance readers love debut authors or love finding new authors yeah. because of that, right? Like the yes. joy of then feeling like you literally like struck gold in the mine and then there's the vein that you get mm-hmm. to follow all the way down to the bottom. Well, and also, and I know this from the Facebook group, the OSRBC Facebook group that I run, which is just, you know, 5,000 really e- excited, interested romance readers. I think romance readers also have a very dis—a very— remarkable way of being able to see that in a right in writing. There's something romance readers for all that we get shit on by the rest of the, you know, reading community. Like we are so smart about the writing in general. You don't have to be a writer to understand in romance that like, as you are reading an author's career out their body of work, you're going to see, you're going to be able to perceive the changes in that work. Right. Right? I mean, and I think that in other genres, people just don't, they're not as loyal, probably, to an entire backlist. Right. And maybe they they also just don't have such an extensive backlist to work with in many cases. Although I'm sure people who are voraciously reading Nicholas Sparks have probably noticed his evolution. Well, I think, I think mystery is similar, right? Because you get like long running series with yeah. the same character. Like I wonder is, if anybody out there was a Sue Grafton fan. God, right. My dad, I wish my dad was still alive. I would totally ask him about this. My dad was a huge Sue Grafton fan and she had those like for, yes. right. you know, alibi. A is for alibi. I was like assassin. I don't know what it was. Whatever. A was it doesn't matter. It no. <laughs> was about alibi all the way through. And, uh, Those had to have evolved and, like, when the characters in a long-running series evolve, people stick with it. When they don't, they, like, drop off. So an example, and it's fine, like, she's making money hand over fist, so it doesn't matter, is the Stephanie Plum series by Janet Ivanovich. I loved at the beginning, but... At some point, I was like, Stephanie's not growing or changing enough for me. She, it's the same book every time. And then I didn't want to keep reading it. I just sort of had to, like, let it go. And so I think that, you know, that's part of that, you know, but then, again, it's like, I'm sure that's, like, a real pitfall for her. If Stephanie grows too much or in a way some fans don't like, right? So I get that, you know, kind of creating a beloved character like that probably has its own pitfalls, too. You see that sometimes in romance, right? Where someone's like I just am now stuck writing about this family forever because yeah, people love this family is ongoing. right going. Right. And we've all seen series like that where it should have ended 4 books ago. Yeah. You and like that's hard to do when the the publisher again this goes back to traditional publishing more than anything else but like the readers keep coming, the tr- the publishers keep coming. You know, they want more of the same, the same, the same, the same. And I do think authors can get stuck in a rut. What is fascinating about Cressley, though, 35 minutes in, is, like, talk about somebody who did not get stuck in a rut, right? Like, she did this— Pirate series, Victorian Pirates. I was so, I swear to God, I picked up this book, Captain Ball Pleasures, Pirate on the Cover, Pirates, sure. Pirates, Ships, Ships. And I was like, it's going to be like set in the 1700s. 1854. I was <laughs> what? like, what? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> fine, cool. And then the McCarrick Brothers, which is Scottish Highlanders. Right. And then IAD starts. Mm-hmm. And the McCarrick Brothers and IAD happen. So IAD, Immortals After Dark, is paranormal. Right. The McCarrick Brothers, the second two books in the McCarrick Brothers and IAD are are written simultaneously. So, like, it goes McCarrick 1, A Hunger Like No Other, McCarrick 2, whatever that next right. one was. <laughs> And McCarrick No three. rest for the wicked. Thank Interesting. You, no rest for the wicked. Well, and we talked about how the Game Maker series intersperses on the back end of IAD, but we never talked about the McCarrick brothers on the front end. No. And then the Game Maker series gets, you know, pushed in in Arcana. And and she's writing YA at the same time. So, like, talk about somebody who is figuring out, like, how to keep her well full and not get stuck in a rut. Right. Which is why I think you get to the end of the Immortals After Dark series, and those are where, like, for me, and I know a lot of people don't agree with this, but I think the Moriore movement of IAD is really great. Like, Yes. Suddenly right. there's like a whole—it feels like everything's reinvigorated again. And of course it is because she's still working. Right. She's writing all over the place. That said, captain of all pleasures, tell everyone what they've won. So— Here's—it was really interesting, wasn't it? Okay, so it's Derek Sutherland is a drunken ship's captain. Um, Nicole Lasseter is a young woman whose father is also a—she spent her entire life essentially growing up on ships with her father— and her mother died giving childbirth to like a younger, and her mother and the baby died, um, and so she's just with her father. Even though her mother was part of the aristocracy in London, so you know her sort of taciturn, mean grandmother. Yeah, we don't know it from the start, right? But she's an heiress. Well, we kind of know because we don't know she's about to, she's going to inherit a title, do we? Mm-hmm. Spoiler, she's going to inherit a title. We don't know that, but we do know that she has been in essentially, like, finishing school, and grandmother paid for it, and she sort of busted out, right, to come and help her father win this race. And a... a a shipping race. I don't even know a sailing race. I'm like, I don't even know. The Victorian high. The Victorian (laughs) high. (laughs) Exactly. For those of you who are, so unfortunately for those of you who um, have not read Immortals After Dark, I think some, I think we're going to say some things that are probably going to leave you in the dark, but let's try and make reference to it. So in, so yeah, there's the sailing race. They're going to go from London to Sydney, but it's not like sort of a straight shot thing. Yeah. So they go to Brazil first. So they go to South America and so it's, like, this great circle. And then they kind of drop down and go towards and then Cape Town. follow along Antarctica to right. Cape Town. Right. And then they're going to, like, shoot over to Sydney. And the thing that was really – so in book two of – so we're going to actually talk a lot about IAD because I think that's what was interesting to me to, like, those seeds. In book two of IAD, there is a – kind of great, amazing race plot called The Talisman High, The Talisman's High. It's not just book two. It lasts multiple books. That's true. That's this true. Race. It does. Right. It's basically The Amazing Race. Right. Four books. Right. And at least. And it was really interesting because in this book, there's sort of a pretext for it. Like, if you win this race, it's going to help your shipping company's reputation. But basically, it's just a pretext to get Nicole and Derek Sutherland on this ship together, right? Because, you know, proximity and we need these two together. She's determined to race for her father. He's going to race for himself. But it's interesting because this is a good example of, like, it starts out and there—so the—he the, the he, he and her father are rivals. Yep. And— there's, like, a whole beginning that feels a lot like, uh, for those of you who have read, um, and I never recommend it for anything other than educational purposes, The <laughs> Flame and the Flower, it starts a lot like The Flame and the Flower with, like, tavern, she's mistaken for a prostitute, like, um, yeah. Here's my theory about, okay, we've talked about how a, the book of your heart romance we can look back and see the seeds of what's going to grow, but I would mm-hmm. also argue you can see a lot of the seeds of what they've read. Well, that's what I was saying, right? right? My first hero yes. was a twin with blue yes. eyes, and the twin brother had a scar on his face, and it was like. But I also think I thought a lot actually about um, Derek Craven because it's Derek and his and Lydia, and mm. and and I found myself thinking about like sort of the. The drunkard and the, you know what I mean? Like some of those clay heroes of the night. Well, yeah, because he gives up drinking. And I mm-hmm. wondered if I wanted to check and see if, again, the magic was before mm-hmm. or after this. I think it was right. before this. I, I felt a very clay past hero-y in some yeah. ways, right? Well, you know how I've talked a lot over the, I've talked, I don't know how much we've talked about it on the podcast. But you and I have talked about the fact that, like, I really, someday when I, like, have no time, when I have, or when I have time. <laughs> Um I want to really like draw out the way I think of the family tree mm-hmm. of romance like yes with these like you know the way that the kind of huge movements in romance and the like really big like grandmothers yes. and of romance have sort of created this massive tree and there's in my head a yeah branch that Comes off as very close, but very, you know, its own branch, but very similar to that, like McNaught branch, right? Yes, like they're on right. the same branch. Right. And cl- I mean, it's clear Cressley is there. Like, yeah, absolutely. Coming right off of. Coming right like off Lisa. of. Yeah, well, and not only that, but the um, gentle those, rogue yeah, of yeah, the pirate, right? Sort of the pirate. Yeah. The pirate the gen- movement. Yeah. Right? No, and when we were talking about IAD, we t- when we talked about, um, God, I'm sorry. I never, in season one, I never knew the titles. I still don't know the titles. Demon, Kiss of a Demon King. mm mm-hmm. um, That we talked about, Kiss of a Demon King basically being fanfic for Prisoner of My Desire. Right. That's right. Which was a Joanna Lindsay, like very old school. Again, check your content yeah. warnings. Um, I feel, I felt that way too. I mean, this is clearly, it's Gentle Rogie. Like, it yes. harkens back to all those big old pirate books. What's fascinating though, is on the reread, or the, the first read. read, the first read, the but read. like on the first read in 2021 is how pirates, so pirate books don't really exist anymore. Because I mean, they're problematic as fuck. Well, aside from them being, I mean, yes. Okay. So, <laughs> well, let's talk but, about why. Let's <laughs> Let's talk about this because- don't tweet at us i know some people still write pirates but like sure. there was a time in the 90s the 80s and 90s when like everybody was writing a pirate yes everybody put a put a romance on a ship mhm and like there was always some something some like if you know, there had and been he was tr- always listen. a secret duke or a secret earl listen to me if there was twitter back in 1990 fucking 2 it wouldn't have been there's only one bed it would have been there's only one bunk yeah, yeah. Right. It was yeah. all pirates. Nobody was ever in winter. Yeah. they were on she the ocean. She knocked her head in a storm, <laughs> and right? they, you know he had to be lashed to the wheel. I mean, like all of this. This is all, all that like, stuff. Yeah. take Cressley could easily have just sat down, written out like promise to the premise of the pirate book. It's all in, in here. It's packed right. in here. Anyway, so I know some people still write pirate books. I, this is not any shade to them. They're just not as common anymore, well, and go well, because you can't do it without They're talking problematic. about... problematic you can't do it without talking about slavery and slavery and colonialism. I mean you can't well, you certainly can't do it without talking about she this but here's the thing this is why the race is essential, yes, yes. because Cressley largely, and I say largely because there is a situation in Brazil that we're gonna have to mm-hmm. na- talk about. Cressley largely elides the slavery issue, and she has to. Of course. Right? I mean, at this point, the slave trade, it's—she picked a time period where, like, the Caribbean yeah. slave trade is—there is drying up, if not dried up. Right. Right? But—so there's a time period thing, and I think that's really interesting because part of the reason why it's so surprising that it's the 1850s and right. 60s is because it shouldn't be. like pirate lore. Right. You know, romance pirates aren't from the 1800s. They're from the 1700s. I mean, this is essentially five years before the Civil War. No, but Cressley's not stupid. She's She's brilliant. And she's like, I want to write a pirate romance, but I don't want to have to do any of that. Like, I don't want it to be gross. Right. And so, instead of them shipping through the Caribbean or having to deal with the Caribbean or slave ships or any of the things that pirates were a part of in the 1700s, which romance was alighting just by virtue of, sure. we're not going to talk about it. Crest was like, I'm going to alight it all by putting it in a different time period. Right. Which I think is a really interesting choice, right? Like, it's well, a choice that is progressive for twenty for 2003. Sure. And, you know, it's not enough for 2020. Well, and they're not really pirates, right? Like, these are legal shipping businesses that they want to well yeah but they kind of are pirates sure because at some point he like takes her ship presses the the all of the he like impresses her entire crew into service right like which is a piratey thing to do so like i'm not look Doesn't matter. I like a pirate (laughs) romance, but like I think what's happening here is we're almost, and we talked about this with A Hunger Like No Other, right? Which is about to be published just like two years later. Right. Cressley is writing. Cressley is a brilliant, brilliant romance writer writing books at a time when the entire genre is shifting. Mm -hmm. Right. And so she is having to, she is basically embodying this movement of the genre from pre-2000 yes, right. to post-2000. Mm-hmm. And that is not an easy task because right. you can see the push-pull of it. Like, mm-hmm. I want to write a pirate romance, but I don't want to deal with any of the shit that pirates have to, sh- like, right. that pirate romances come with. I don't want any of that baggage. So instead of them being, like, true pirates, sure. they're they're, you know, shipping magnates right <laughs> who also like have who race boats exactly. and also but also will press your gang into service and drop them off to be like hanged for insurrection or whatever in where was that cape town right so i think this is really interesting cuz you see her on the page spinning the wheel. Yeah. Like, yeah. how do I get out of all of these things? That's what I would say makes this or marks this really as a debut for me. Okay, like, you know how if you turn a, a, a garment inside out and you can see the seams? Yeah. It feels like sometimes in a debut you can see the seams, right? It, they're there. And I think a lot of it was around the plotting of, like, how do I get these two on the boat together? right? A, a lot of that, it just, does that make sense? It, well, again, it feels really old school in the, it feels like a McNaught novel in the sense that like there's a lead up to these two. So the money of this book is the two of them racing and they're on yep. separate. So Cressley gives herself a huge problem, several huge problems here. <laughs> right. First problem is how do you get these two alone She clearly wants to write a pirate book. She wants to write a book on the open sea. Yep. How do you get these two onto the open sea is the first question. And it takes a long time. Remember when we talked about Gentle Rogue and we were like, it started in the wrong place? Yeah. I'm not sure this one does start in the wrong place, but like, it takes a long time to get them onto onto the open sea. It's not as tight as it needs to be, right? No, and then when they're go- but then too, when they're on the open sea, they're on separate ships. Yeah, I know. And then I was like, "How are you going to solve this one?" Like, and they can't just walk; they like, can't like run into each other, except they do. And that's Brazil, is amazing. <laughs> Wait, do they run? It- is that the first time when they're in Brazil? That when's the shipwreck? After no, Brazil? Brazil is first, then the shipwreck. So the other part of the plot you need to know <laughs> is that, uh. Someone, there's a villain. There's a villain. And the villain, her father, is like, I hate Sutherland, but I know it's not him because as much as I hate him, he's a stand-up guy. But someone is trying to essentially attack or or um, sabotage the boats, ships, whatever, that will be in the race so that they can win. And he's trying to figure out who. So there are several stops. So the, the thing about, I guess, these you know, journeys, is there's a lot of fossils. There's a lot of boat talk here. This is the problem with putting a romance on a boat, everyone. I mean, there's, like, I joke a lot that, like, you can't put a romance on a boat because you end up having, like, too much boat shit, right? It's just no one cares. Like, (laughs) being on a boat is a lot of work and kind of boring and also, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's nowhere to go. You can't, like, you're sort of stuck on this boat, The only thing that can really be exciting and happen are storms and pirates. Sure. And those things happen. But so they go from London to the coast of Brazil. This is sort of the first stop on this journey. And they're going to get out and reprovision for then like the journey to Cape Town. And when he's there, he goes to his favorite brothel as one does. Wait, but he goes there to look for her, doesn't he? No, I don't think so. I I thought he heard she was there. No, the madam is actually a friend of hers. Remember? The madam is like her, her her surrogate mom. Yeah. And so, you know, Nicole has been like, oh, there's this guy I like, and we're on the race together. And so when he shows up. There's this guy (laughs) I like. (laughs) For the record, Nicole never says that. Of course. (laughs) She does. There's this guy I hate. Yeah, right. (laughs) But I can't stop thinking of how much I hate him and his his, size. Her surrogate mom is like, I think you like him. And I happen to know who this guy is. And luckily for me, he's one of my good customers. So when he shows up, She's, like, kind of, like, oh, I think, are you looking for a redhead? Right? Remember? And then he, like, goes with another woman, but he's only with her for, like, five minutes because, oh, right, of course, okay. he cannot be with anybody else but Nicole. and Real so romance he, novel shit here. Like, oh, for sure. Like, once you have your real true love in your sight. He's so old school, too. Oh, God, Like, I yes. want to keep going with this, but, like, this is a good point for us to just underscore. He's, like what's-his-name, the first, the first vampire book, in, uh, Lachlan in, yeah. in Hunger Like no Other. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. Often, when we tell everybody, like, okay, you're going to start IAD, you have to start with A Hunger Like No Other and just get through the first 120 pages sure. until someone gets punched in the face. And then right? you're fine. Right. And then you're fine. And what we proposed in the first episode of Fate of Mates when we read A Hunger Like No Other was that what Cressley was doing was literally... Setting the ancient old school hero on the page to break him yeah, completely and restructure him as a modern hero, yeah. like, post-2000 romance hero. Yep. And this guy is—Derek is old school. Oh, for like, sure. Like, there's a moment where he thinks to himself— If I weren't so angry, like, I had intended to, like, make love to her, but I'm furious, and so now it's just going to be a quick fucking. And I was like, what? (laughs) And that's not, none of that happens. Like, but it's just, he has thoughts that are primitive. Oh, yeah. They're primitive. Yes, that's a great way of putting it, yeah. And so you're just like, you need to fucking evolve. And what's amazing is Nicole basically says to him, like, no, we're not. Yeah, like, I'm not into it. And actually, it's interesting because- flame in the flower by the yes book. so the madam then sends him out like a door she's never sent him out before and then he hears you know someone giggling and it's like it's nicole i just recognize her or whatever and this is some real wild shit too uh, one of the women at the brothel is putting a henna tattoo on her but like on her it's her it's maria Oh, he goes out this other door that that Maria's of Madame has sent him down, and he hears this he hears Nicole's voice, like, laughing or something, and he, like, knows immediately that it's her, of course, and he kind of spies on what's going on, and one um, of the women who, it's kind of unclear, I don't know if it's someone who works in the brothel, but she's Indian, is giving Nicole, like, a henna tattoo, but it's on her, like, abdomen and under her breasts. It's, like, super sexy, and he is, of course, like, this is super sexy. What, What are you doing here, right? And they Run into each other, and it's clear then, like we now understand, oh, like Nicole knows the woman who owns the you know the the madam is like Nicole's surrogate mother and has sort of set up this meeting. She actually like locks the door on them, right, like she's like you two have to talk to each other, like just can yeah, I ma- can I make that happen so I do want to pause here and say, Sasha, the heroine the the woman who is applying the henna, yeah. Um, she is Indian, and she is working at this brothel in Brazil. Yeah. Um, so there is, like, a nod here to colonialism. But the Hannah piece is kind of weird. Yes. And confirmed to me from Nisha Sharma... Um, who knows a lot about henna that like the idea that henna would be able to like like give you good luck or like summon some kind of like luck or person to you or like provide some kind of protection like all of that stuff is really like ancient view so like again 1860 probably not happening quite this way so i just want to put it i just want to note that that like there's something There's something in this book that, again, the time period—Cressley is really just doing a lot of extra work here as a writer, trying to figure out how to tell this story without—while being respectful— but also clearly wanting to, like, acknowledge that there's some kind of, like, colonial hap- colonial shit going on here. Right, right. Um, but she never quite, like, digs into it. Again, this is one of those situations where, like, I feel like Cressley knows that she—she she knows that there's something to be said here, but she's not sure what it is to be said. Right. And, and so she's, like, nodding at it and moving forward. Which is time period, I guess and sure and 20 years later it's also hard to parse as well, right I will say this the scene is odd. It's like a yes. I, I it pulled me I don't know if it pulled you out of the book, but it pulled me out of the book. I was like, what's henna happening what's yes. happening here right It feels odd because in 2021 it's hard to tell whether Cressley, yes. was nodding at colonialism and saying a thing, or right. I'm not sure. Right, exactly. And I think I think that's back to a lot of things. One is I also, and you and I both know this, that, like, romance novels are really, I think, highly attuned to pop culture. So yeah. sometimes when I read a romance novel now as it's happening, I can see how it is talking or in concert or in conversation with other things that are movies, TV shows, whatever. So it feels a little bit like reading that scene with the henna now in 2021, what I found myself wondering is, is, is Chris, is Cressley as a white author trying to like, okay, colonialism was happening and I can't pretend it isn't. Or was there something else happening in pop culture that made her know that her readership would understand Henna tattoos, or right? Mm. I mean, and like, does that make sense? And so I, I like you, really stopped at that moment and just thought, this is interesting to me, and I don't know how to parse it. It was interesting, especially because at the time in two thousand and three, white historical writers were not regularly including women of color in books. Right. As primary or secondary or tertiary characters, right? right? So I think there's something interesting happening there. And this brothel is, is represented really positively. Like, these yes. are sex workers who are doing work, who are and are, are respected in their work. Yep. And I think that's really important, too, here. This is sex work laid down on the page in a historical without shame. And that's about, like, Cressley's doing something here. It's yeah. just hard to tell. Sure. Because we're not in 2003. Right. And I think that's it. I think sometimes, I mean, that's the hard part, right? Like, it it just really, and so there are several times in the book where I found myself thinking, like, this is interesting, but I don't know quite what to make of it. Well, it's right? also suggested, and perhaps this is reconciled in the second book in the series, but it's suggested that her father and the madam of this brothel is they are ultimately going to be in love right Right. they're going to be partnered right and it's there's never a hint at all that he she would not be an appropriate partner for her father because of her past as a sex worker which is amazing in some ways, Nicole's journey, right, which is my grandmother wants me to be a lady and be part of the aristocracy, but I want to be, but I love the sea, right? And I have grown up on ships my entire life, and I, I, you know, that tension does feel in some ways like a crusty heroine, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's a lot of older women In the book, right, both the madam and her Mm -hmm. grandmother, and I kind of found myself thinking of, like, the Valkyries, right? Like, this whole, like, Mm -hmm. sort of other generation and, like, the, you know, kind of, like, who are you going to end up being? Um, But in some ways, too, I found Nicole's behavior, like, a little inexplicable only in the sense that it was, like, so non-historic. Like, what I read in historicals. No, it's... I mean, but that's where you start to see real Cressley come out. Yes. Right? Like, this heroine is a Cressley Cole heroine. She says modern things. She does modern things. She is kind of a badass. She captains her own ship. She... Does a lot of things. She doesn't take shit from anyone. Mm-hmm. She doesn't take no for an answer. Like, she is right. kind of a Valkyrie, an right. early stage Valkyrie. Like a proto-Valkyrie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, so what she's done is she's really written Valkyrie- Sebastian like a Roth brother Valkyrie combo here yeah very Um, much where it's like just a super duper alpha and like this kind of take no prisoners heroine and the trouble the challenge with this book is that they're not together right right enough right and I would say the other challenge so okay so then what happens is they leave Brazil and both of their boats are in trouble Hers right. his, both been sabotaged. We right. know, but yeah, his the drinking water on his boat has been sabotaged, so his whole crew is essentially sick. And then the actual physical mechan, mechanisms of the boat, whatever the rudder and something else, have been. Some, oh. some boat's broken. Romance reasons, boat reasons. <laughs> so the boats, boat's broken, and so she essentially he ends up saving her and her. There's crew. a terrible storm, right? <gasps> she lashes herself to the wheel, which yeah. is a real like piratey, oh yeah, ship romance thing to do, but usually done by the hero, right? And, and not she does heroine. Instead, right. she does it to herself. Then there's you know a solid hundred pages after that of essentially them not understanding each other right he is convinced that she poisoned the water for whatever reason you know she is just like fuck this guy because he's taken my whole crew and then is going to have them you know turned in for mutiny and killed right 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 so and and i found that this um kind of the misunderstanding 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 and, and then even when they told each other the truth, they sort of default back to misunderstanding. Probably was the part where I was like, this isn't quite working the same way later Crestley does. There are right? a lot of secrets in this book. Yeah. Later Cressley, and this is a real, I mean, I remember feeling, I remember this feeling from when I was a young, early writer. Like this sense that, so I think one of the biggest mistakes the new writers make, and I've made it many times myself, is... Feeling as though if you give up the secret too early, there won't be enough book. And so what ends up happening is you keep the secrets from the characters and from the reader for too long. Yep. And so it starts to feel like, what are we even doing here? Right. Whereas if you give up the secret when it feels like it's the right time to give up the secret— often what you have to be, you have to trust yourself as a writer. And that is a hard thing to do in the early days. Like you have to trust that if you reveal the secret early, there will be more secrets and plot to come like that. It will. And often for those of you who are out there writing and you're struggling with this, let me tell you that I have never given up a secret on a book and not had it made things worse and not better. Right. Like, so worse for the characters, like we're right. like more complicated for the plot rather than easier. Right. Um, and so I think that, but she's pulling the punch here. Yes. And I don't think she's doing it on purpose. I think no. she's doing it because she doesn't she's a, know a she's rookie, doing it. Right. Making yeah. mistakes. Right. So I think that. So this, you're right. Because that, that piece, I'm sorry, but no, no. that segment of the book, for those of you who have read the book this week, the, it goes from. They're on that boat and they're it's really romantic. I mean, talk about there are some really romantic moments that are real true Cressley moments. Like true. this whole time, they're not, they're like not talking. They're not no. speaking during the day, but at night, oh, she's yeah. cold. She's const she's always cold, this heroine. And So, and the first thing he ever does for her when he thinks she's still a sex worker, she's cold and he gives her his socks, like a clean pair of socks and warms her feet. And it's like, it's Mm -hmm. uh, St. Vincent. Yep. But, and the the warming block for Evie, but the, so there's, you know, he's always keeping her warm. And so she shivers at night in the bunk in his cabin and they're not looking at each other even during the day. But every night he walks into his cabin, he takes off his clothes and he climbs into bed with her and he just holds her and is like her furnace for the night. And right. they never discuss it. It yep. happens. They don't They don't have sex. They don't touch other than for him to like wrap himself around her and keep her warm. And it is so cressly, Yeah, absolutely. It's I amazing. mean, if you love that, you're going to love IAD. And then at one point, he's like, why aren't you wearing the clothes that I put out for you? Right? Yeah. And she's <laughs> like, you've, that's why you're putting clothes out for me? And he's like, I want you to wear my clothes. I want yeah. you to be warm. I want you to. I want you to wear my clothes. I mean, oh, hello. It's so romantic. <laughs> right? And so this whole time, but this whole time they're not talking and they're not talking to the reader either. Also, we're in his point of view and not hers most yep. of the time. Which I think is important, but like we are she's a cipher yes. during that whole period. right. And then the secrets start coming out and they mm-hmm. come out bang, 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 bang and you're like, right. what's and you're like whoa, what's happening? <laughs> and it, it's hard at that point to know whether, I mean it's it feels it feels like um, it's very hard, I think, to introduce that much plot into, like, the last third of a book successfully. Because it feels like, as a reader, and I'm not saying this is true, but as a reader, sometimes it just feels like, well, you got yourself into a plot hole and couldn't figure out how to fix it, so you threw some dirt on the, you know what I mean? You built up something. It's interesting, right? Because she does hold a lot back from the reader. Like, we don't know Nicole is about to become a marchioness, Right. Right? So it's sort of explained away in the text as, like, because of some deal politically, however many hundreds blah, blah, of years right. ago, this particularly this particular Marquisate can pass to the eldest female child if there is a right a, a woman right, right in the family and no, and no men a girl and no boys right and so she is set to become a marchioness right which is like. Bigger than an earl, he's an earl. She would be one. She'd be higher ranked than he is, Um, and so like that sort of a surprise. It's a surprise that she's super. Like that's such a that is the big surprise because that means she on her own is destined to be super rich. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't Um, need his money, and I mean it's. And then and then he's he's married. He's married, right? Right. And it's interesting because Cressley doesn't give us. It comes out of left field that marriage. Oh, absolutely! Like she gives us, it's not possible for us to marry. Like right. way early in the book, and I mean, so, so say, what? so says every romance hero. Exactly. I don't. I'm not gonna ever marry her. Have okay, right. dummy. Right. Right. <laughs> All that stuff feels and it feels really interesting in the sense that it felt like I said, it just felt like the seams were showing. Seams are showing, but the truth is that the cut is still crustly. Like, yeah, it's all I mean, those secret that structure is crustly coal, right? Where like everything, I mean, I how many hundreds of times did I say that first season? Like, I can never see how she's gonna thread the needle. Like, yeah. She lays it all out in, by the time she hits Immortals After Dark, right? She's laying out the threads for the whole story, not just the book, but also like the small movement of the series, plus the 18 book arc, right? Like she's laying out all these threads in such powerful ways. And you as the reader see the threads and, I mean, like I as a reader could never stitch them together the way she was going to. Right. And I think that in this book, she lays out the threads and I'm just... Like watching her stitch them together, like she's an apprentice and not yeah, right, exactly, and not like you know a sure. designer, right? And that's and that's okay. Like that's the it's a debut part, right? Yeah, I mean, I hope that I hope we're not. It doesn't sound like we hated this book because I I didn't. I mean, like I'm fascinated. It was a by fascinating this. thing to read as a Cressley fan as a right? first book. Yeah. What I do want to talk about, which I think was real interesting, was sex. Mm, because, oh my god, <laughs> sex. Finally, first of all, oh, my God, it was the slowest burn. Yeah, well, that I was like, what the fuck, (laughs) Cressley, Cressley, we expected more. (laughs) But you could see it, too. That was her pulling the punch, too. So have I ever told the the story about... I must have told this story. I'm going to tell it again. Okay. When I... So I wrote my first book, which was YA, and then I got myself an agent. I don't remember recommend doing it in that order. I don't mm-hmm. recommend doing it in that order ever, but that is what I did. I wrote my first book, I sold it, and then I got an agent. And then I wrote Nine Rules to Break When Romancing Rake. And my agent, who was a YA agent at the time, took it out to Roman. She read it, and mm-hmm. then she took me to lunch um, in New York City, and we're in this, like, packed New York city diner and she's sitting across from me. And this was, and my agent at the time was a woman named Alyssa Eisner Henken, who is fabulous. Um, and the only reason why I'm not still with Alyssa is because she only did YA and I don't do YA anymore, but she was great. Highly recommend. And, uh, she was so eager and like excited about this new project. And she was like, so So, and there, we are packed. It is lunch hour in Midtown. Like we are packed in to a diner. There is somebody, I do not have to extend my arm to touch the businessman (laughs) next to me. And she says to me, so I've been asking around and apparently there are no rules as far as what you can put into the book, except no anal. (laughs) Yes. And so matter of factly, and literally it was like next to us on both sides. It just went silent. And in that like New York City kind of silence where they were not going to look, but like, what the hell were these two ladies talking about? It's amazing. Oh my God. So, anyway, again, like 2000. So that was 2009. Now, this is 2003. And you can see Cressley, like, she wants to make these two do it real bad. Yeah. (laughs) And she doesn't. And it's fascinating. I will say, okay. It's so close. Like, it's so hot. And then she pulls it back. Like, it's excruciating. I've got to tell you, I was like, I'm not sure I have ever actually read them getting interrupted. It's her first goddamn time. And he's in her. He is in her. And it's like a knock on the door. (sighs) And I was like, what in the, what is happening? Well, right now? also, there's a hymen situation here. We've talked <laughs> about this before. The hymen's <laughs> way up in there. That's not where the hymen is, everyone. Also, we're gonna link to a very important TikTok by Dr. Jennifer Gunther, <laughs> author of The Vagina Bible, who talks about the hymen and what it really is there for and why um, this hymen conversation is nonsense. But yeah. anyway, but, but no, the hymen is not like a steel barrier up in there. <laughs> You gotta burst through like a <laughs> like a cool battering man. ram. <laughs> like a cooling <laughs> ram. Oh my god. So so they have now, but I would also say like the pacing this moment is fascinating because here you have these two in bed. They're gonna have sex for the first time. He finally is like, we're gonna do it. She's like, let's do it. They're interrupted by essentially a terrible storm. That, you know, essentially like, and I'm kind of like, do they blow in this fast? I have no idea. Whatever. But the thing that's fascinating—that's what she said. Yeah, of course, I give you that. It's a gift. <laughs> the thing that's fascinating, though, about the pacing in that moment is we get none of it. We oh, this essentially it opens the next chapter is them. The storm is over, right? The storm is over, and they are like creeping into Sydney Harbour, and everyone's exhausted because mm-hmm. they like fought you know the whole night to whatever keep the boat alive or whatever people do on the boat. And I was just like, it was so weird to me. And then, when they finally do have sex, I was it's like. so good, though. <laughs> I was seriously like, goddamn, imagine you were like. She knocks that thing. Fucker out with a bottle of rum or some shit. Yes. He's out cold. She ties him to the bed. Ties him to the bed. And when he wakes up, she's like, peace out. I'm leaving. And then she's like, hang on. (laughs) She's like, I'm taking your money and I'm leaving. And then she's like, wait, maybe we should fool around a little first. But she doesn't untie him. No. It's she, so Cressley though, like yes. And I, it ha- It started, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Like Cressley's taking the gloves off because she has been holding, holding back together for <laughs> three hundred and fifty pages, and now yes. here we go. Cressley Cole's on on the scene. Yes, and she delivers that scene is hot. I was, I was like, "God that damn!" Scene is, Tie me to the mast, hot. Yeah, it was. I was like, whoo. I was like, the thing that was amazing is I was like. It's so primal, right? I was like, whoever installed your buttons installed Presley's buttons, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt, right? Because <laughs> you hadn't read this before you wrote no. Reason. But then the part two is, like, she then falls asleep on top of him. With and him. He's- this is my favorite thing. from. Can I say? Oh, yeah. My Please. favorite thing from old school historicals, Virginia Henley used to do this all the time, was... Everyone falls asleep while they're still, in, like, he's still inside her, which is nonsensical, I know. Sure. But, like, again, I was 12 or 13 when this <laughs> button was installed, and I love it. Even though I've never written it because it's nonsense. Sure. <laughs> and he is, stays inside her so long that he basically he gets, gets hard again. again. And they do it again. And then she's like, peace out. Now I've really had my way with you twice. So I'm going to go. And then he leaves her. What an asshole. Well, her man, her first mate arrives in Sydney. And, you know, but there's actually, you know what else? So there's a, a, a long interlude of them just being lovers yeah. oh, in Sydney. Oh, they, like, make, right? yeah, but it's, like, a paragraph. It's, a, think it's more than that <laughs> but it feels like a paragraph it i feel, wanted it to be more. it feels like a paragraph but time passes yeah, so a yeah, lot yeah. of time passes in this book but i was also really fascinated by that because i think it's a way in which it really shows that nicole that although her grandmother wants her to live that arist- aristocratic life There's no part of that in Nicole's psyche even. She never once thinks I'm doing something that's wrong or forbidden. She is just like, I love him and I love being with him and this blazing affair where we, like, don't leave the cabin for days because we are fucking, like, crazy, right? And and she, like, you know, everyone on the boat loves her because she always helps and she's part of the crew. But I was fascinated by this. And then there's this scene where he's, they walk by a jewelry store Mm -hmm. and he's like, I'm going to buy her these beautiful sapphires. And she's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, those are nice, but look, fresh strawberries. (laughs) Uh, You forgot the part where that scene happens immediately after. He's like, I'm going to make you my mistress. Yeah. And she's like, oh no, that's not going to happen. Right. And then he's like, well, I'll never, he's such a dick. He's He's such a jerk. Yeah, He's like, I'll never make you my wife. That's not possible. Right. And you're like, and it isn't possible because he's married. But like, none of us know that. Right. And it feels like the tone that he uses is like so shitty, right? Sort of shitty, man. Like, yeah. And she's, she's pretty great. And she's like, well, fuck you. I don't want to live on land like, anyway. She well, and in her mind, she's <laughs> like, I'm going to be a m- rich heiress, sure. marchioness. Like, why do I need you? Yeah, it is. And that's the part that I also really liked about about Nicole was I think a lot of a lot of historicals, especially older ones, mm -hmm, have we understand the like breaking the patriarchy kind of role that they play. But we don't talk as much as we should maybe about how we see young women trapped by their roles as well. And the, yeah. the books I like best now are ones like yours where they're like, I'm breaking out of this. This isn't for me. Yeah. She is she has no preoccupation whatsoever with those artificial rules of society. No. All of that is a game to her. Yes. She, she's going to gamify it all. These are like, a, I, I need to know how to use this fork to know how to use this fork, but no part of me thinks knowing how to use the fork or not is important. Right. Right? Well, I mean... I really think that there's something else here. Like, I think there are so many pieces of it that are so crusty. I think that by the time we get to the end, there's, you know, there's still that sort of... I love the scene where he's, like, I'm taking... He turns up at her house at 7 a.m. and is, like, I'm (laughs) taking you to Gretna Green. And she's, like, no, you're not. And then he walks into the house and, like, talks to her very cool grandma, like... Well, uh, grandma, Lord Scoundrel style, Grandma. Well, she was terrible at the beginning, but once she was like, "Oh shit, Nicole almost died." She's like, "I better stop being such a jerk," which yeah. is a real sudden turnaround. But I was fine with it. I mean, I was really fine with it because I love when he's like, "I'm taking her to Gretna Green," and she's like, "Well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good." <laughs> Get back to me when you're back. All whatever I needs was to, to happen. happen. And I just wanted like, her to wear, marry a nice man, and you are an Earl, so it let me fine. break it down, Grandma. I'm the fifth earl of Stanhope Stan and I want to marry your girl. And she's like, "All right, fine. <laughs> I love it." And then he is basically like and then he professes his love in that way that a Cressley hero does where it's like he's basically just like I can't live without you. Right? I can I cannot I cannot live without you. Right. Mine. And that is it, like that's just it. And so therefore I'm going to get over my shit. I'm going to stop drinking. Yeah. I quit drinking on the way back. I mean, there's a lot of, like, kind of everything's handled. But no, you know what? True. I kind of like that. There's... True. Here's the thing about historicals. Like, sometimes you just want the the historical where it's all just sorted out in the end. Yeah. Everything's yeah. going to be fine. Right. Here's how everything's going to be fine. And then you get to read about my brother in the next one. I think the one... There was one part that I thought was very, like, crusty. Because I think... Nicole is a more interesting character than Derek. Derek is a very, like, kind of... He's central casting. Yes, the central casting alpha. But there's one part in particular that I really thought to myself, now this is this is Cressley, where um, I think he's... I can't remember who he's talking to, but, you know, he's sort of like, uh-huh. and they say, you know what, you need to be hopeful about your future. If you're not going to be hopeful about your future, then you're going to live in misery. And I found myself thinking that that little speech could have been about Rune. It could have been about Cian. It could have been about mm-hmm. any of those Roth brothers, right? Mm-hmm. That, like, a Cressley hero is essentially, like, frozen in misery, whatever, right? Whatever that state of being is until they see a potential different future, And that is what makes a Cressley, like, motivates a Cressley hero to change. And, you know, of course, it's almost always this, like, younger woman. But that, I thought, was a really interesting distillation of what makes a, like, right in that moment, I thought that is the Cressley core story for a hero, right? Something about my life does not please me, and I can't fix it. I'm just stuck with it. It seems like I will be stuck with it forever. But then all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, the heroine, uh, the core story of the Cressley heroine is like, bang shit against this wall until it breaks. Yeah. And that's that. Right. Like, until it breaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in that sense, I did feel like they... Like you know, the plotting yeah. and pacing and stuff the hero, aside, yeah. including right? the hero, yeah, right. The best scene in this book to me, because I fucking love it when they suffer, is he he has to leave her. He has to leave her, you know, for romance reasons, alone in Sydney because and, it's the last quarter of the book. She sure, <laughs> he has to go away. Right, eighty percent of the way through, he has to leave. Yeah. And he is on the boat with the the sapphires he bought her, but he never had a chance to give to her. And he, this motherfucker, throws them overboard in a fit. And I was like, (laughs) and I was like, that is, you know, Maxim sleeping in his bathtub. That is Lothair cutting off his cutting out his leaving all hell. Like yes, (laughs) right. (laughs) I was like throwing the sapphires overboard and cut out my heart. That's all that is. And it was like, and I like it. Yeah. And I like it. I'm for it. (laughs) Suffer. Suffer. He deserves to suffer at that moment. Like, well, come on. I mean, he hasn't told her anything. She doesn't understand. He could have said, I'm married. But instead he said, I want to make you my mistress and I'm leaving. Like, well, and I would say that that's one thing that, in this book, I would not expect to see in future Cressley books, which is the ways in which the men in Nicole's life keep secrets from her. hmm Right? And she, like, so it's like her first mate essentially kind of talks him into leaving. And then she can tell that something's up and he kind of feels guilty, remember? Yeah, well, it's interesting because in a, the first mate figures it out, right? We're in the first, basically— we and the first mate figure out that Derek is married right. at the same time. Yes. And Nicole is not on the page. Right. And in future Crestley books, no- Nicole would have f- figured that's it right. out. With, that's right. That's right. And that's part of it. Like she That's lo- Again, that's a da- this rookie mistake. Yep. She's the bang it against the wall heroine, but she is not yet the. I'm. Smarter than everybody else here heroine, yeah. and that's that's one of the things that f- felt a little different to me, like the proto yeah, the proto heroine maybe I mean, it's a very cool experience to read the first book by basically your favorite author, yeah, I like agree. I think Jen and I pretty much are on on the docket as <laughs> the biggest Cressley Cole fans out there, and it is wild to read her first book. It really is with how well we know. Yes. Like right. her, you know, her most her most recent series, her Imperial series. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, it's a really cool experience, I think. There were definitely moments where I was like, oh, he's gonna get the heads of her enemies. Like she finds there is there yes. are enemies. There are like two mm-hmm. kind of low-level, like yeah, gross yes. villains who they she they stumble upon in Sydney, and she's like, they're the ones who There's hurt me. Ones. And he does just- <laughs> Like, levitates off the page. Yeah, (laughs) God, exactly. I'm going to go destroy them. I mean, it's great. It is. It's great. great. Look, if you're looking for a fun, like, high-seas adventure with uh, kissing and also time me to the bed sex, we have a book for you. We do. And if you even a little bit enjoyed this, go back to season one and read... A Hunger Like No Other. Do not read the first book on Goodreads, everyone. We have to say it again. It's called A Warlord Wants Forever. Don't read that first. We have a special reading order. Read it when we get to it in season one. If you look at, I just updated actually that page because I had Kelly make some, we did there twice, two times there, we did like a double episode and I had Kelly like remake the icon so you see both books at once in like one box in the right order. You're amazing. know you Kelly is. Kelly, Kelly's really tolerant of your drama. Um, Kelly, everyone, I'm going to tell everybody your problem. Fine. Jen has a problem, which is that she can't deal with it when in show notes, the grid of book covers is uneven. So if one row has five books, all the other rows have to have five books, or we have to figure out how to add or subtract books to make every row have four books. Like, it's kind of a nightmare on Tuesdays, I gotta say. And so, I just handle it, though. I handle it. You don't even know. Really I know, but no. when I'm like, I'm adding such and such, I know, I'm all she like, always, three years, you guys, and she still doesn't like, trust me to know, because be she like, it always even? reminds me to make it even. <laughs> So today, this morning, I got a text from Kelly that was like, Sarah, I was fixing this thing, and then we had an uneven row, and so (laughs) she asked for my permission to put something else in, and that was fine, but really, Jen. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You guys, everyone right now, you can go ahead and tweet me and be like, it looks nice when all the rows are even. It does. Now all of you can go support Jen. There you go. Thank you for your support, And they'll be like, Sarah's so mean. Sarah's so... So, if you're, ever, like, so un- like, <laughs> if you're ever like, why are there kind of like. Unsportive. If you're ever like, why are there kind of random books they only mention for a second in here? I was like, it's to why. make a row even. Why are there sometimes books in there that we've never mentioned? <laughs> I was like, because it's the same author and I needed that row to be even. It's, it's fine because we like that book or we like that person. <laughs> sometimes it, literally sometimes it comes down to, oh, we did age gap romances and I need one more book. Do you have one that we didn't talk about? And we throw it in. So if you have, if you don't look at the show notes and you sh- you should, because sometimes there's a little extra, a yeah, little extra right. present in there for you. Sure. Or we like, or like last week with age gap, you had read the one read Saffron Kent. I read Saffron Kent. oh, Kent's, what's it called? Eight, eighteen, something 18 dreams of 18 dreams of 18 maybe I can't remember and I was like don't worry I'll put it in the photo array <laughs> I'm just gonna say I mean it was great but also check your content warnings um next time well we have some really awesome interstitials we are planning over the next kind of month or two yeah i don't know what interstitial is next week because it won't be the one that i thought it was so it's fine we'll figure it out but surprise everyone our next read along is going to be white out by adriana anders which was also one of our picks for the best books of 2020 yes so i'm excited because i haven't read this one I haven't. I think it's amazing. So, so I am getting ready. I'm gonna getting ready for Danger Bang. Yeah, and it's going to be great because we don't do a lot of romantic suspense. And so I think it'll also be really fun for us to talk about romantic yeah. suspense talk about that. Um, y'all, I hope you're reading great books this week. Um, we are produced by Eric Mortenson. You can find... Uh, a newly even grid of book covers on our website, Thetamates.net. You can also find links to best friend Kelly's resistance buttons shop for romance gear, romance stickers and pins and show notes and show paraphernalia. Um, Every, a lot of our episodes have pins that are in jokes for listeners. Mm-hmm. So go check those out. You can go to Jordan Dene through that website, through fadedmates.net, and buy FadedMates gear. Uh, you can listen to all the music from the episodes on Faded Mates. You can see videos yeah. there. You can visit our Derek Craven Day website. You can visit our new website, which includes uh, our friend podcast podcast, oh, yeah? other romance novels. Uh, Podcast that we love. Um, we've been revamping yeah, the website. Adding, yeah. so check it out. Go all the out photo, now. all the photo arrays are even. <laughs> yeah, if you like even things, Jen's got you covered. All right, have a great week, everybody.